As I was thinking about this text that we just heard, and thank you, Christian, for that wonderful reading, well done. Uh, the story where Jesus encourages people to take the lowest seat in the house, I began to think about where in our world today, where in our culture today, do we still have ranked seating? And as I thought about it, I realized it's everywhere. <laughs> when you go to a wedding or a banquet, you know, your, your proximity to the head table still says something about your status. Or if you go to a concert or theater or stadium event, there's the really expensive seats down by the stage or down by the arena, and then there's the, the cheap seats way up in the nosebleed section, right? But I think the most uh, compact, maybe the most direct experience of segregated seating by economic level or whatever we want to call it today might be airplanes. Airplanes have, as we know, first class and then everybody else. It used to, that, that used to be it. There was just first class and then there was coach. But now coach has been further uh, segregated into different levels. We've got regular economy, premium economy, business economy, and then, you know, first class. But now Delta has come up with something even bigger and better than first class. Now they have Delta One, right? Which means you now have your like mini hotel room there on the plane. You've got a large screen TV, a nice comfy chair, and you've got a little bed right there, which is perfect, I suppose, for, uh, for international travel. Delta One now makes first class look like, you know, less than. Maybe the best advertising for first class is when the rest of us walk through first class, you know, on our way to our metal chair with pretzels, you know, behind first class, and you walk by people and they're sitting there sprawled out, reading their newspaper like this, not bothering anybody because they have that much room. They get all, you know, the full drink menu. They get exquisite food and they get those warm towels that they can use to freshen up, right? And you see all this on your way through first class. I've actually never sat in, in first class. I, I hope to someday. I hear stories about people who get bumped because the airline messed up and they get suddenly find themselves in first class. I, I hope that happens to me someday and, you know, I can experience the extra leg room and the space and the, and, and, and the hot towel and all that, all that good stuff. Now, if you dare to sit in a section or in a seat that is not assigned to you, it's very likely that another passenger or a flight attendant will tap you on the shoulder and say, um, you might be in the wrong seat. Is there another place you're supposed to be? And then you have to get up and do that walk of shame uh, back to your actual seat. This actually happened to Camden and I, my son Camden, at the Falcons game last season. We were way up in the nosebleed section. I mean, way up high. And enjoyed the game, you know, from that level. We could see basically everything and everyone. But during halftime, we noticed that there's this whole section of seating down by the 50-yard line where there was virtually no one there. And, and probably no one would notice or care if during the beginning of the third quarter, we just kind of nonchalantly walked down and sat in this open, which is exactly what we did. We went down. We sat down as if we belonged there. And I think we enjoyed those 50-yard line seats for all of a minute 
before a security person came along and said, uh, are these actually your seats? And we were like, well, actually, no. And we made our way back up to our nosebleed seats. It was only a few decades ago in this country that our nation had segregated everything, particularly here in the South, segregated seating according not to class or economics, but to race. And the civil rights movement was set in motion by a courageous woman who dared to sit in the seat that was not assigned to her and did not move when she was asked. And then, just a few years later, there were four very courageous men who risked their lives by sitting at the counter of a Woolworths in North Carolina. And that propelled a sit-in movement across the South, which changed our nation for the better forever. Sometimes, in order to take a stand, you have to take a seat. Segregated seating was very much in play in the time of Jesus. Society was very hierarchical, right down to the dining room table. And stepping outside of your place could be dangerous. Jesus was not the first to comment on seating arrangements. He was not the first to say, hey, you might want to start in the lower seat and then get bumped up to first class rather than starting at first class and getting sent to the back of the plane. This actually comes from one of the Proverbs. Proverbs 26, 25, or 6 to 7 tells us, do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it's better to be told, hey, come up here, than to be sent lower, to be put lower in the presence of a noble. So Jesus in this teaching is just reminding his people of what they already knew from their book. Be humble or be humbled. True humility doesn't come from thinking less of ourselves. It comes from thinking of ourselves less. But Jesus takes it a step further. He says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your siblings or your relatives or your rich neighbors in case they invite you in return and then you will be repaid. Instead, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, those with disabilities and the oppressed. In other words, when you have a party, invite the people who can't return the favor. Invite the people who would normally be in the cheap seats or wouldn't even make the guest list and then then you will be blessed. Then you will be blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? You ever wonder that? We hear this word blessed, blessing, I'm so blessed, you're so blessed. It's all over the Bible. It's all over our world today. What do we really mean when we say you are blessed, I am blessed? I think typically it means Something good has just come into our lives. I'm so blessed because this happened to me. You're so blessed because this good thing happened to you. And that's fine. That's, as far as I can tell, fairly innocuous. But the danger comes when we think we are blessed because we are favored by God, right? I got this thing. I'm blessed because God is favoring me. 
And that is some really dangerous, toxic theology because it means if I'm blessed because I got this thing because God favored me, you don't have this thing, therefore you're not blessed because God has not favored you. That is some really damaging theology. It might not surprise you to learn that's not at all what Jesus had in mind when he used the word blessed and probably not what is in mind in the entire Bible when it uses blessed. So if blessed doesn't mean simply to be in possession of a good thing, what does it mean? For Jesus, it means that you have been changed for the better. A blessing is not just being in possession of some good thing. It means you have been changed for the better. Big difference there. So what if we read the word blessed, every time we see the word blessed in the Bible, we substituted it for change or changed. Thus, this text in particular would read, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the oppressed, and the disabled, and you will be changed. You'll be changed. If blessings are experiences that change us, then we might read this passage, we might read the entire Bible differently. What kind of people would we change into if we practiced the gospel in this way? Now, by the way, this, this whole message of personal and social change was instilled in Jesus while he was still in the womb. His mother taught him this. You may remember that when Mary discovered that she was pregnant, she had to leave her home. She might have been kicked out of her house. And she went to her cousin Elizabeth, who was also pregnant with the child who would eventually become John the Baptist. And when Mary and Elizabeth meet, Mary sings this wonderful song, a song that we now know as the Magnificat, but really it's like the first freedom song. It's the first protest song. She sings, God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Now that's a change. God has brought the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Or as Isaiah says, every valley shall be exalted and every mountain shall be made low and the rough places made into a plain. That might sound like it's only a positive change, only a blessing for those who get lifted up and not so positive and wonderful for those who get lowered. After all, it's more fun to be lifted than it is to be lowered, right? We prefer to get a promotion than a demotion. But according to the gospel, both are blessed. Both are changed for the better because both parties end up on the same level. This is the leveling love of the gospel. The lofty are lowered, the lowly are lifted, and we all end up on the same plane. Not where we're going to have Delta One plane, on the same plane, the same level of recognizing and celebrating our shared humanity before God, where no one is worth more than another, where no one is more important or more valued than another, where no one is better or better off or worse off than another. That is the kingdom. That's the kingdom we celebrate here every Sunday. So once again, if you're among the privileged, as I am, 
If you're among the lofty, equality might look threatening. But it's really only a threat if you value your quality of life more than equality. If you value your quality of life more than the very lives of other people. If you value your quality of life more than God's dream for all people. Sometimes we confuse privilege with blessing. It is really dangerous. If we think of our privilege as a blessing or a sign of God's favor. Meanwhile, the gospel calls us to transform our privilege into blessings, into positive change for those who don't enjoy the same level of privilege that we might enjoy. In other words, Jesus is something, saying something way more revolutionary, way more radical than simply asking us to build bigger tables and to make more room for those who would not otherwise be invited. Jesus is calling us to become aware of our unearned privilege, to deny ourselves, and instead to use our privilege to favor those who may have less. That's a big part of what we are aiming to do in our anti-bias training. Once again, happening downstairs right after worship. This is gospel work. This is where it all comes together. Understand what it means to have the lofty lowered and the lowly lifted so that we can all be on the same plane, the same level. Sometimes when people are getting to know a church, when they're church shopping and visiting one, two, three, four times, often the first question on our minds is, is this a place where I can be fed and where I can grow? Is this a place where I'm going to be fed and where I can grow? And that's a really good, important question. Because if you're, if you're in a place, whether it's a church or a restaurant, and you leave hungrier than when you came in, that might not be the right place for you. Is this a place where I can be fed? Is this where I can grow? That is a perfect question to begin with. Eventually, that question should change into something bigger and better from not just can I be fed here, but how can I serve here and help others to be fed in the same way that I am. We used to give here at this church aprons to new members. When they joined the church, as people did last week, we would put an apron on them as a symbol that a change had occurred, that they were no longer wearing sort of a figurative bib and being fed, now they've decided to put on their apron instead of the bib and join the wait staff to help serve the next group of hungry people who are coming in the door, which doesn't mean they're not being fed anymore. I mean, the people who serve have to be fed so that they can serve. But it symbolized a shift in their perspective and in their relationship to the church. The first time that I moved to Atlanta... 30 years ago now. That can't be possible. I was just a wee lad. <laughs> I really was just a kid. But I was a full-time volunteer at a free restaurant that served people who are unhoused. It was called Cafe 458. It was right down by the King Center. And in this restaurant, 
people who are unhoused would experience all the things that most of us expect to find in a restaurant. A maitre d', to show them to the table, bright, clean surroundings, flowers on the table, music, a waiter or waitress who would bring a menu with choices that they could, menu items that they could choose from. Everything that we would expect to find in a restaurant, except one thing, there was no cash register. This restaurant was completely free. People would be blown away walking into this place after, you know, months of years perhaps of scrounging for food or being in line for a soup kitchen and soup kitchens have their place but it's basically you get what's served you don't really have any say in the matter at this cafe you had a choice and you were treated with extreme dignity people would walk in wondering I, I can't believe it do I do I belong here is this really for me and for those who were serving it was an opportunity to be humbled and to be in relationship and conversation with people they might otherwise not be around or maybe even ignore. What we do in this place is not a lot different from that. A church is like a cafe or a restaurant. We, we are set up to serve not just people who are unhoused physically, but people who are unhoused spiritually. People who might look at the outside of the church and think, I'm not sure I belong in there. I'm not very churchy. I'm not sure God could love a person like me. I'm not even sure I believe in God. Sure, I might be all in for an experience of love in community and in service to others, but I don't know about church. <laughs> not realizing they just described who God is. Right, sometimes we over-theologize God to the exclusion of people who think, man, eh, I'm not so sure about that. I'm not always realizing that all this God thing is is an experience of love and community and serving others. That's it. That's all it is. It is really that simple. We don't have ranked seating here at Virginia Highland Church. Right? You can sit wherever you want no matter how much you give or don't give. The floor is tilted, however. Have you noticed that? <laughs> I'm not sure why, but maybe it's so that we all end up rolling down the aisle and end up around the table right here on the same level, on the same plane, where we all get to feast together at the table of grace, where we're all treated as first class because all of us have been called to serve and to love together. Amen? Ashe, namaste.